0: The Rights to Ricky Sanchez podcast, which you are listening to right now, is brought to you by LL Pavorsky Jewelers, where Rights to Ricky Sanchez the listeners go and get engaged. Big Barker Therapeutic Dog Beds, get yours at bigbarker.com slash Ricky Cornblow and Cornblow, the official law firm of the process. The Colony Meadery, the official gluten free booze made from honey of the process, and Kinetic Skateboarding, 9.1% off your first order with promo code Dave Silver. On the show today, the Sixers have righted the ship everything is fine. Markel Fultz is normal again. Joel Embiid is dominant again. And as long as they play the Bulls all year, 81-1 and seems like a fair prediction. We will discuss the rumored turn down TJ McConnell trade, the cheering of Markel Fultz, and the former Sixer who brought down LeBron James. Uh, without any further ado... Here is Run the Joy.
1: We are the murderous pair. That with the jail and we murdered the murderers there. Then with the hell and discovered the devil delivered some hurting despair. Used to have powder to push. Now I smoke powder to push. Holy, I'm burning the bush. Now I give a fuck about none of this shit. Two runner over and out of this bitch.
2: Woo. Woo. Step into the spotlight. Woo. Welcome to
0: the Rights of Ricky Sanchez podcast. I'm Spike Eskin, along with a guy who never stopped believing in Sauce Castillo. That is Mike Levin.
2: Wow.
3: Hi, Mike. What a start to a a very Nick Stasquez season. I'm so happy for him. Yes. There was a nice profile in The Athletic about how he found the love of his life and now... Is dominant in Portland. It's great. Yep, it's great. He was feeling it. Uh, yeah, I mean, look, this is who he is. He should be a guy that hits shots. He's a good shooter. He didn't hit. <laughs> sh- he didn't hit shots enough when uh, when he was in the en- any of the other places. But he's a shooter, and he can hit shots, uh, and he has a little bit of handle and passing ability. So why why not be the f- a f- first guard off the bench? Why not?
0: Stauskas. Love, love seeing him take down LeBron in his Lakers debut—a very Nick Staliskis moment—and it aligns perfectly with. I would say that Portland is sort of my. The Trailblazers are a little bit my non Sixers team. If I had to pick a non Sixers team, I, uh, I, I really enjoy Damian Lillard. I think Evan Turner is hilarious. Um, Nick Staliskis being valuable in any way shape or form on the trailblazers would be awesome for me now if you remember correctly he did start off his nets career very uh not nets yeah yeah yeah. brooklyn nets career very very hot from three sure Uh, uh but i believe in him now he just needed a little time to grow into his body to um get the nba timing down and i believe this is the beginning of a new nick
3: stauskas for everyone yes the stauskas podcast it's here i'm thrilled
0: uh by the way i have just holy cow i've just received word that i don't know what the topic is but at some point this podcast we will have 60 seconds with tony tony to tony
1: <laughs> Great. the
0: return of tony t he is back this actually aligns with our willie green apple podcast five-star review i do i just got the text message uh, with the audio I don't know what it says but at some point later on we'll introduce 60 seconds of Tony T so that is very big for us excellent um, I with... just
3: I just also want to say yeah. uh, there's so much history in a Nick askcus Evan Turner mo harkless lineup and I just want to take a moment to appreciate yep. the process men and women gone by yeah because yep. that yep. Is, that is um that is some real – each each of those guys makes me emotional in, in very different ways. Yeah,
0: for sure, for sure. Well, Evan Turner is a guy who, as as you know, I rallied against pretty hard toward the end of his career here. Or I think yeah. like, I turned on him at a certain point, and I was like, get him out of here. Um, one of the one then, of the biggest
3: Ricky, Ricky arguments.
0: Yes, was Evan Turner versus uh, Dion Waiters, <laughs> hilariously. And but, the,
3: uh, the inexplicably still in the league – and still, like, competing. I think we were both wrong and right both at the right same time. Both wrong.
0: Yep, yeah. yep. That was – it was perfect. Uh, but Evan Turner, like, since – so I was talking – I forget in the – oh, I think it was with Ike Reese in the office. And we were talking about, like, faults, and it led to, um, like, led to what I said about him and Evan Turner. We were talking about Evan Turner, and we were laughing about how Evan Turner – like Evan Turner's issue, completely the opposite of faults, is that Evan Turner has like no lack of confidence whatsoever, like in any way, shape, or form. Maybe the most confident guy in all of the league. Once he was off the Sixers, I like it a lot. Like, I love everything about Evan Turner. I love his sense of humor. I love his like thinking he's a 10 when he's a really a five. Uh, as not a sixer, I think Evan Turner is a wonderful NBA player. I love his existence. Just not here.
3: Yeah. Well, I feel that way about a lot of guys. Yeah, (laughs)
0: we do need, and I think, I don't think it was any of the segments that we had ever brought up as a possibility, but I think we do need a regular former sixer segment here on the pod. Like a former Process Sixer segment here on the pod, right? Yeah. It I'm seems sure. like there's enough of them. There's a 100 of them out there. So the Willie Green Apple Podcast five-star review of the week, we were up to 1,876 on the way to 2,000. When we get to 2,000, I'll do a podcast reading all of the reviews from 1,000 to 2,000. This one comes from Benny Dubs. The subject line is, are you down with TTT? RTRS hit its peak with the appearance of Tony, Tony to Tony. It's been all downhill since. Bring back Tony or lose your coveted five-star review. Love the pod, but seriously, I need more TTT. And there we go. Um, we have the, just so you know, we have the 60 seconds. Do you just want to do it here? Just want to like put it here? Sure. The Tony, Tony to Tony. All You're right. out of the way. So what? <laughs> <laughs> so our 60 seconds from Tony, Tony to Tony, who is a friend of Amos Lee's, we've been negotiating with Tony for a long time to get him back on the pod since Amos's appearance on the pod. This is a 60 seconds with Tony, Tony to Tony about the cheers for Markel Fultz and the sour milk spike and sunshine Mike. That is the topic. And uh, so we don't even know what it is. So we won't know until post. So here it is all right there it was i hope Wait, it
3: was good I, we, gotta, we gotta listen to it you can't play well i don't it know points?
0: how to well here you know what i can do i'll play it on my phone and i'll just replace it with the real audio when we have it does that work for you sure uh uh okay um here we go hold on <laughs> this is this is a real open floor way of doing this but wow um, here yeah here we go here
4: we go here we go
2: yo cause it's tony yeah uh, was uh, saturday morning Glad to be on with Sleepy Mike, it's Sour Milk Spike, yo, Spike, yo, how's your milk taste today, buddy? Heard your Sour Milk Spike, yo, what's up, Mike, yo, heard you got that Lala brand, cause you're out there breathing all them fumes, so everything just seems cool all the time, right, Sunshine Mike? Yeah, I just wanted to say, like... Yo, everybody want to keep clapping for Markel Fultz every time he shoots, you know what I mean? That's cool with me because, you know what, every time I take a shot and I'm on the playground, people be clapping for me too. So, you know what I mean? I'm like, yo, keep clapping because, yo, Rudy, yo, you know what I mean? Like, I'm down for that. So every time, yo, every time, like, Markel Fools take a shot, I'm at home, I be yelling out real loud out my windows, you know what I mean? I'm like, yo, keep shooting, Cal. Keep shooting, cuz. Yo, you guys have a good day, all right, yo. Sour Milk, Spike, Sunshine, Mike, yo, you guys keep it real. Keep fighting. (laughs) Keep fighting. That's, That's good, man. That's good.
0: There we go. Okay. Keep shooting. Well, that leads us in perfectly to our uh, our first topic of the day. Love Tony, Tony, Tony. I can't believe we're paying him for that. The uh so Sixers win uh against the Bulls, we'll get into some actual basketball part of it, but the uh the proof that the internet will find a way to fight about just about anything is the ability to fight over Sixers fans probably In one of their finest moments in actually Philadelphia sports fan history, take Markel Foltz, the number one overall pick, who came in as the missing piece, who we traded an extra first round pick for, who misses an entire year because he forgets how to shoot, and then comes back in looking marginally better and unsure of himself. And for some reason, in some way, Philadelphia fans say, fuck it like we are 100% behind this kid and are going to cheer everything he does and uh and ends up being a point of contention i was in the building for it and i have to tell you like it almost i'm being honest like brought a tear to my eye like how behind him everybody was um even with the, like the shoot stuff i don't know i like i thought it was a a pretty cool moment for everybody
3: you did did the sheer uh, support of the fans Sh- shed your negative negadelfian anti-faults haterade i'm just ri- i'm just writing tony's things. yeah uh, uh, do, you, do you feel do you feel like seeing a three in person did that change you in any specific way
0: it absolutely 100 did and i am not bullshitting like wow. for this yeah i so i was there and um so if you remember correctly and i've explained this on the pod before val was very in on the sixers during when we like the beginning of our relationship was the doug collins years and she Mm. fucking loved drew holiday and thaddeus young and elton brand and uh all those guys like she loved them we even took a road trip i convinced iguodala was her favorite Uh, i convinced her to drive to boston on memorial day weekend for Game 7 against the Celtics, because that would be the last time we'd get to see those guys. And she was like, okay, let's do it. So, but since then, since the process, she has been ultimately checked out. Like, I I don't think you can expect a casual fan to be in on that. And she really is, as much as I've tried, it's been hard to get her into what's going on. So we go to the game, we're at the game, um, on our wedding anniversary, by the way, and the Fultz thing, he comes in and I explained to her, like, what is going on and, and, like, what the crowd reaction might be and what he's going through. And she goes, Well, I guess he's my favorite sixer now. And, like, almost cried when people started cheering his miss shot, like, just because he shot. And when he hit the three, I was just like, You know what? Like, I, like, m- maybe this kid would just fucking figure it out. <laughs> and I'll tell you, here's the, the one thing, the, the the less emotion and real, like, actual part of it. I wrote a thing earlier that day, basically saying that, for the WIP site, basically saying that the Sixers have to start him, have to commit to him, and cannot back off like they did in the Celtics game. Like if they want him to be good or be valuable, those are the only ways they can do it. And if they have to sacrifice games doing so, they have to do it. Like they have no choice but to do it. Um, And like just watching it, like especially at home, thinking like maybe at some point, like the support And like the the realization, because truly what it becomes to me, whether he is talented enough to be as good as we hope, I don't know. Like I legitimately don't know. But like the confidence thing is he really just has to know if I miss, it's okay. Like, I'm not going to get pulled if I miss. I'm not going to get booed if I miss. The world isn't going to crumble if I miss. Because that, that has to be part of the, the, like, the equation going on in his head when he is deciding, I don't want to shoot even though it's open. It, ha- it has to be like, that, that's what everybody does when they decide not to do something that is risky, is like, what happens if I fail? What happens if I fail? And the answer has to be in his head, nothing. Like, nothing will happen. Like, if I miss the shot, then I miss the shot. And, and like, I thought that moment, hopefully, implanted like the seed in his head that, like, if I shoot and I miss it, nothing will happen. Like, it, it, I'll just miss the shot. Like, I've missed a million shots playing basketball. I've never not missed shots. I've always missed shots. So I thought to myself, like, maybe, just maybe the support of everyone will will like sort of egg him on into thinking it is not the end of the world if he misses shots. And hopefully with that the comfort in shooting the right way comes back because it still looks janky when it's a like when he's set it doesn't look right to me. But yes, so that's what happened to me. Wow. What a sorry, that's the long answer. What a
3: turn no. I mean that's a, almost an argument for like going to the games, watching the games with your own <laughs> eyes. And being yeah. turned by the by the sheer willpower of the crowd man i mean yeah the three was the three was awesome it was it was the thing that you sort of never think you'll see right it's like someone daring him to shoot standing 10 feet behind him and saying go go for it and him say finally being like okay and he took a dribble and he knew it went in he started backpedaling it was right away and i was like yeah do that do that it's you're a different player if you do uh, and so that was a great moment. And so there were obviously that and a couple other moments in the in the fourth were really nice. Uh, that little lefty, little lefty thing off the glass on the drive that that was really inspiring to me, almost as inspiring as the as the three because yeah. there was. I mean, I hate I hate doing this, but I always do it. Like I watched him so much at Washington. I have memories of just being just totally spellbound by how good he was how how he seemed to just glide through the court and get wherever yeah. he wanted and rise up over people and find the angles all these like just very impressive things for for such a young guy at the time and i have seen almost none of that with the sixers and we talk about the jump shot because that's the most important thing and that and that sets up the rest of his game but truly he looks the only part where he looks you know actually his defense has been Pretty good, I'd say. Obviously learning curve and everything, off ball stuff. But fighting through screens and, and, and catching up with guys and, and trying to go for blocks, like that's better than he looked in college defensively. And offensively he just looks nothing like that guy. He looks nothing like it. He's like yeah. sluggish. He with the ball in his hands, he's sort of like going through the motions a little bit when the ball's not in his hands, he's kind of just standing there. Like yep. sometimes he cuts, not always. Like it, it's just not there's not much that and even in Washington, like I there really was times when he would uh when like David Crisp had the ball or whatever, he would kinda check out a little bit. I thought it was just because they were a pretty bad team and he didn't have much help, so he was kind of just carrying the load and, and and when it wasn't his turn to do it, he was kinda like, all right, give me give me a possession off. But here it's like it just seems like he's just clearly not comfortable. And I don't want to do the armchair psychologist stuff, and I hate doing like body language police, but
0: but it's it, real on this it's, one. It, it it's seems definitely real, and, and it's yeah. and
3: it's hard to like diagnose from here, and I, and I don't know what's going on in his head, or I don't know what the team's telling him, or what his doctors are telling him, any of those things, or the people around him. But it's just it's such a confidence thing, like it's such a confidence thing, and we just I, the only way that that's gonna get to the next level is for him to play, and and get that back. And so it to me that left that lefty kiss off the glass was the first time that I'd seen him like really just get get to whatever spot he wanted and find the angle and easily go in. There was a bunch of like even even the shots that he took thus far to this point in his career, like they would still like roll in in a weird way, like it, it would just like went came off the off his hand weird and like rattled in in, in like an unsatisfying way. Just like this was clean, got to the spot like almost Kyrie level of just like, I have this angle and I can, I'm going to take it. And, uh, you know, there's a lot, there's still a long, long way to go. I don't think he's very long close to the player that they drafted yet. But I think the only way that, that they're going to be able to find out if he can be that guy is to just keep playing him and, and let those moments happen like last night. And he played the most moments, uh, he ever had in his life in, in the, in his career, 32. And a lot of time he didn't look great, but, we're just gonna. The more times we can see a couple moments that we can build on that, and hopefully the, his confidence. And I like you know you're playing the fucking bulls. You're gonna win if you play. You're, no matter what, you're gonna win this game. Yeah, they suck. Like, you just yeah. gotta give them time.
0: Yeah. I, so there were there were two things on that. First of all, it was funny. The angle at which I saw the three was beho- like directly diagonal to him. So um, in between me and seeing Markel faults was the basket, the hoop, and um, Zach Levine I think was on him at the time uh, so I didn't I only saw the ball in the air then when I saw the replay and saw that he did the like the um, the dribble 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 sort of so it was off the dribble and not set yeah. I was like oh there's there's that thing that he needs to do so he can feel comfortable enough to shoot it um, I thought it was just he just lined up and shot it um, and to your point about playing him and like one of the things that, that, that I, I think in the the long term, uh, like sort of like uh, equation of all of this, in obtaining the third star, right? Obtaining the third star is either through um, free agency, uh, it it is Markel faults through a trade or through the draft, and we're all pretty much under the illusion that, or under the understanding that the draft thing is is. Like let's throw that out for now because we're not drafting high anymore. Nah. It's a low percentage play. Well, but you know what I'm saying. Like let's just, for the sake of argument, say that it, that is the hardest. That is a hard one at this point. It, it it's, does it's certainly like, it does not, seem
3: like the Kings are going to be the worst team in the West. That but that would only be.
0: give us a 14 percent chance of of getting even getting that pick in the first place.
3: So four six four, um, 6 because, one, four, six, 11, one, six eleven. What was it?
0: Yeah, 1611. 1616. 1-6-1. Yeah. But let's I'm I'm just trying to like give the whole picture here. Free agency um like really the decision you're making here is if you don't play them and you make the team better for now, are you making yourself more attractive to a free agent because you look better now? Or and i don't really think that matters i think either somebody's going to choose us or they're not it's right. still a, a low percentage play I agree what it that. comes down to is like you make your chances of obtaining a third star either in a trade or it being markel faults much better still low but much better if you can show that he is normal again like if 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 it ends up being a trade and he becomes normal, he instantly becomes your most valuable asset as in a trade. Mm -hmm. Or if he becomes better than you think, quicker than you think, there is your guy on a controlled salary for the next three years and you can get more creative in other things that you do. But if you bury him in the name of five more wins this year, you're, you're, you're really like... In, in my opinion, going after the lowest percentage play. And when Brett Brown comes, and I'm, I'm going to criticize Brett here, his pregame comments that everything is up in the air um, in terms of Markel starting, and it's a day-to-day thing, is like, look, man, if you say, I remember when Chip Kelly was like, hey, Nick Foles is our starter for the next 100 years. And you know what happens if you choose not to start him, like who fucking cares? Coaches lie all the time, things change all the time. So instead of saying it's up in the air, just saying just say he's the starter. Marco Falces is the starter. That's what it is. And and stop like hedging and stop not playing him in the second half because things get tough and you're playing Boston, is just fucking play him. Play him, play him, play him, play him, play him. And if it turns out that he never gets it back, then you are in no worse position than you are now because I don't believe he has any trade value now. And he's certainly not adding anything on the court in, in a real sense right now. So yeah. like, like you know what I mean? Like the worst thing that happens if you play him is you lose a few more games and it turns out he doesn't get it back. But like the upside is just so high. Exactly. If he looks good again, they have to fucking play him.
3: They yeah. Every time, every him. time he plays or does anything, there's the conversation of like, okay, what's his trade value now? Like, has it changed like every single time? And right. So I, hopefully that yeah. dissipates as the year goes on. I do agree that right now he has essentially no trade value. Not like he's as, as valuable as like Amir Johnson. I think it's just teams are just going to be like, I I'm not going to give you the thing that you want out of it. and You want, yeah. And you're not going to want the thing that I am giving you. So it's just never – you're still – we've been in this, like, middle area with him. I agree that – I think the point is a good one, that the, the path to a, a star goes through either it's Markel or Markel is good enough, shows flashes enough to get you that guy in a trade. Uh, because I don't think, you know, maybe a Dario Covington trade does it maybe somebody comes to your free agency. It, those those are possibilities, but it seems like lowish still, especially right. now that we know the 2021 pick is not quite as valuable, valuable as we thought it was because of the early entry deadline being 2022.
0: And by the way, the the uh, Covington, I, I don't think it's any small thing that having to trade Covington and Dario takes two serious contributors out of your rotation to mm-hmm. make that trade. And like, I don't want to have to if I can if I can make that trade while keeping one of those guys in like in a world where no matter what you think of Covington like a guy that does what he does at his number is really hard to find mm-hmm. like every every NBA team would pay him to do what he does on their team to in a like and Dario right now at least is on a, a rookie deal and produces I think like more than his rookie deal is valued at like uh, having to trade both of those guys like I, I, you do it if you have to do it to get the guy that you want, but wouldn't it be better to not have to do it? Is yeah. sort of the, the way I think about it. Of course. You know?
3: Yeah. So I, I agree with that. I think uh, I, when we say play him, at least to me, I don't think that means if he's struggling, doesn't matter, give him 35 minutes. I think you could, there, right. there, there can be nights when he gets 18, 20, 25. Like that's fine to me. And I think it's about finding, finding places within the game when he can do what he did at UW and try to like match that a lot of times he just dribbles down the court and like has the ball and just passes to Embiid or Covington or Dario and kind of just like runs to the corner and stands there the rest of the session. I'd love to try to get him in a pick and roll where he's driving and, and passing or, or going right to the rim. It seems like every time he's in a pick and roll, it's him doing that like little like clunky rhythm step to the foul line and rise up. And sometimes it looks okay. Sometimes it looks less okay. So I'd love to try to do that, and so that's that's going to happen when Simmons is out. I, I want them to play together, but like it's about finding those times when he can be useful and not just invisible on the court. Um, yep. And that you know that brings into question what's TJ's role. I think he's going to get his guys get injured, Markell or Ben, whatever it happens. Uh, so it, so I think TJ will find it. Um We can talk about the trade possibility, but I I think you know he TJ played almost five minutes in the first half and then didn't play the rest of the game against Chicago. And that's interesting. I don't think he minds, you know, I think he wants to play obviously, but he gets it and he is the, you well, know, integral and, per, perfect teammate. So I think he's like on board with giving Markel the space and everything, but... And, and uh, part it, of that is a
0: function of the game and their opportunity to give Markel minutes yeah. when the game was no longer in question, I think. And, and they,
3: tr- and they the tried function. to sit Simmons and beat for... A lot of the fourth quarter and the the bench right now just without Chandler Muscala like just isn't strong enough to yep. keep keep a game at arm's length without any of the Embiid Simmons and probably Covington. Uh,
0: before we get to the rest of the players in the game, let's talk about our sponsor, Big Barker Dog Beds. Mike, I love Big Barker. I love Big Barker dog beds. My dog Rebel loves his Barker dog, Big Barker dog bed. Every process pup on our website loves Big Barker dog beds because now they're sleeping in actual beds rather than pieces of crap. Your dog has joints, has a lot of friggin' joints, and those joints develop arthritis as they get older. That is why it is important that you put that dog in a bed that supports those joints and allows that dog to feel a little bit better than he felt before, he or she. Big Barker therapeutic dog beds engineered specifically for dogs to get more comfortable as they age, especially big dogs, dogs 50 pounds and over. You know what I like to say, man? 80% of them develop arthritis as they age. You there's love a big that. barker for, I love saying it, big barker. There's a big barker for every size dog. My dog, Rebel, is not 50 pounds. He's only 40 pounds. How many pounds is Donovan? Do you know? Mm,
3: he gets chubby sometimes. So I'd say in the yeah. low 20s.
0: Okay, but but comfortable. Everyone's comfortable. Comfortable and athletic.
3: Donovan's like a Ray Felton level. Like still has, (laughs) still has, he can still get up. He's he's like, he's nine at this point. He can still get up, but he, uh, you know, he puts on the weight. Uh, Get your Big Barker with a free Ricky upgrade. A Big Barker cover
0: with a tastefully embroidered to Ricky Sanchez logo by going to bigbarker.com slash Ricky. Bigbarker.com slash Ricky. Your dog deserves it. If you love your dog, you're going to put them on a correct bed. Ten-year warranty. The foam won't flatten or they will replace it for free. A one-year at-home trial. Try it for a full year. If you don't like it, if your dog doesn't like it, not only will they give you your money back, but they will pay UPS to return it. Handmade in the USA. Love it. Bigbarker.com slash Ricky. Big Barker dog beds. Wow. Pretty aggressive. Yeah. Pretty mix aggressive. it up uh all right the um a couple of other things from that game uh a great uh, landry shamit game just sort of like the just seeing how how nice that uh seeing like a guy who will hit the three-pointer when the three-pointer is open is a really like comforting thought i think you know it is and, nice uh yeah, it really is. It feels great to see that.
3: So, yeah, the, he just looks, the, like, the, he looks just, like a player. He looks like a player. Yep. Uh he I you know, I think that I'm going to say something here. I think he mm-hmm. is a I think he is what oh boy. we wanted Staskus to be. I think this is the guy yeah, that we, we want. It's like he played mostly point guard at Wichita State once Fred VanVleet was gone and can certainly handle a little bit, has uh, a little bit of leaping ability, uh, bouncy around the, around screens. And I was really impressed with his defense against Chicago. I thought he did a nice job of contesting and, and moving through screens. I think there's some still off ball concerns. That seems to be really like every young players problem. It's just like they get lost off the ball sometimes, Um, which I get it's complicated defensive schemes and stuff. Um, but I, I was just impressed across the board, across the board impressed. Uh, the fact that they can have somebody come in and do JJ things when JJ's not in there, and occasionally have them both be in there and you know just wreak havoc around, just like have action all over the court and make it tough for the defense. It's great. That was a great pick. I can't endorse it enough, especially because I was not that high on Landry coming out of college, and uh, I was wrong. He's doing great. This is a nice. Yeah. What a nice thing. An, a, like, this is when's the last, like, contributing right away <laughs> non like lottery pick for this team? It's incredible. Yeah. Is it, and, is it Jeremy and, Grant? And even him was like, that was, you know, he took a while to get going. Is it? That's, like, well, KJ, I mean, KJ and, McDaniels and the, before they traded for him? What, what, yeah. What?
0: And, and, and by the way, at that point, none of that really counted because everybody got a chance. That's like, right. everybody competed at that point. And this is a, I would say, the blessing in disguise. Um, thing of Chandler being hurt, you know, uh, would be that Brett has to lean on... Not that I don't think he'd play Shamit, but it certainly opens up min- minutes for Shamit. And, you know, the little process moment in all of us wants to see the young guys play to see if they're any good. Always. And seeing him, yep, seeing him Always. hit shots was, was great. Uh, Embiid was a monster in that game. By the yeah. way, uh, how annoying... Is it me or is Bobby Portis one of the most annoying players to look at? Like, he seems like he's such a dickhead. I would not. He's definitely
3: out of his mind for sure. Uh, Yeah. He's never missed a shot against the Sixers for sure.
0: No, he definitely hasn't. Uh, But Embiid looked fucking great. Like, Embiid looked like an animal hitting those, hitting the 12 and 15 footers uh muscling people down low looking like an, an animal on defense was just a fantastic and beat game i think he had 30 12 and 2 or 30 12 and 3 something like that was yeah awesome? well this is
3: we we talked about getting him beat easy shots and having a, giving him an easy game this was like a very very easy low contact not like ridiculous 30 points on 14 shots just like got to the line got fat a little bit hit some jumpers didn't hit any threes. I still I there's still some debate as like people wanting him to take him or not. I, I think he has to take those shots. I think he yeah. has to. I think yep. he's gotta get better. And especially if him and Simmons want to share the court together, as we talked about, like he needs to be able to Simmons has to be able to drive and kick out to Embiid sometimes and not just be clogged the lane. That doesn't say that, that he shouldn't roll with Simmons sometimes and try to catch lobs and stuff, but I think it just has to be a part of his game. He's only going to get better at it by doing it.
0: Well, and by the way, even at 31%, which is what he was at last year, that's not really a negative shot. You know, uh, mm-hmm. I, people don't want to hear it, and, but like 30, 31% from three as opposed to a post up is not really like a bad shot. And if what he bottoms out at, now look, I don't want him shooting six a game at, at 31% from three. But I, if that is his baseline is if that is the basement of what he's going to hit, even if he never gets better, I want him to keep taking them. And then the possibility because he is so skilled of him getting better shooting threes by shooting more of them. Like I just believe in it. He's got a really soft touch. He's got a, a really, uh, natural I- implies that it, he just is that way, but his shot looks right. And it doesn't look like he struggles to shoot, shoot it. That way, so i I believe in his shot being I believe in him being a thirty four or thirty five percent three point shooter pretty easily actually yeah, so. and every
3: and everybody talks about, and this was truly tragic, and you didn't have to deal with this because you're at the game, but having to having to listen to Reggie Miller twice in a row to start the season is really really fucking me up. but everybody talks about, oh, and this is every broadcast that's not uh, the local one. It's oh, you're making the defense's life so much easier for Embiid when he steps out and doesn't go inside and just like bang on him. But like no, as, as every national broadcast <laughs> will tell you now it is no minutes restriction. Uh, he's going to be playing 35 ish minutes a night. He needs to like conserve some of his energy sometimes. And if he can step outside and not have to run all the way down to the post, punch a guy in the face 45 times to get position and then like get banged on like that's, that'll, that'll make things harder for him. So I'm totally fine with occasionally him stretching the defense out, allowing allowing driving lanes and getting better at that shot. I think that's that is important to him becoming a full like unstoppable weapon
0: and and uh, like and we'll get to this later because I want to talk about this later, but also if if Ben Simmons, to be effective at this current point needs to drive into the lane or operate in the post. It does give Ben Simmons an opportunity if they have to do some a lot of your turn my turn stuff, which they're going to have to do. Mm-hmm. It gives it gives Ben Simmons a turn which he needs, or does. But like not not that Simmons is like hungry to score more points or whatever, but like to keep him engaged and and also to make use of what he is good at at this point and be standing at the three point line is helpful for that and him actually shooting those shots whether he is making 31 percent or 36 percent does mean like it's funny as poorly as he shot them every time he does that fake the guy comes at him every time mm-hmm. you know the guy guarding him comes at him and that opens that up so i think it's important that he does it for a number of reasons
3: um and i also it was mean, nice to point out s- no, that he didn't, that he didn't turn yep. the ball over nearly as much it didn't it, it I think he only the, had two. It's in the box where he had two, but I don't think any of them were like the kind of turnover I was talking about last time. And obviously, yep. Chicago is not pressuring you and making you think like on the defensive end like Boston is, but just it's nice to see that. that yeah, for sure. It doesn't happen like that.
0: It was a... I want to talk about Covington for a minute. I I think it was four of 11 for three. Hit a couple of big ones. Uh, played well defensively, I thought, specifically. I am um, the crowd reaction to every Covington three point shot. Like, I don't know how we got here with him, with like the, the, the Covington as polarizing, um, shooter, like uh, 37% is a normal good percentage for a three point shooter. Uh, like, I don't know when we decide, maybe it is, we haven't seen a three point shooter shoot that sort of volume before in Philadelphia. So we're not mm-hmm. used to seeing like most of them not go in because that's what happens. Even most of Steph Curry's threes don't go in. Even most of clay, clay Thompson's threes don't go in. Um, I, I don't know what it is, but it, it is like uncomfortable watching him shoot them in the building because of how like polarized the fucking crowd is on him. So it was nice to see him hit a couple of them. Um, It's so weird. I just, I guess I don't, I know I am a, a a biased uh, observer in this case, but I I don't, I don't necessarily
3: get the reaction to him. I just don't get it. Yeah. I mean, look, I don't have to go into the Bobby Abreu corollary, but it exists and it is a true thing. People in Philadelphia, he, he looks like kind of casual and easygoing and he does take a 10-3. So I think those things are like, oh, he's not that, you know. There's there's always someone that fans think is like too streaky, shooting yeah. too streaky, not consistent. No one's consistent from three. No one is. No one. It's not possible. Yeah.
0: Consistent, yeah, consistently hitting thirty seven percent. That is what the consistency is.
3: Yeah, and, and I, I wouldn't mind him occasionally from, no. like not taking some of those. Like he sh- he should be only you know the Sixers offense. There there are enough weapons where. He doesn't need to go back to 2015 Cove where he's taking contested threes uh, every possession because there's nobody else to do anything. He can. I, I wouldn't mind. I'm, again, I've seen. I don't. I, I've seen. I've seen him put the ball in the deck a little bit, and I think he's doing it more confidently. I don't know that it's been effective yet, but I can tell that he's excited to utilize that element of his game, and I believe in yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It hasn't. I believe in us seeing good stuff from there. And he played incredible defense. That's the thing that uh, I think he is almost. I don't know if he took something from Ben or 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 this is just how he's now they're they're coaching him to play or whatever. But the thing that Covington did is always like let the guy go by and poke it out, or or sort of like try to cut off angles eventually. But what Simmons does so well is move, use his body to like just get to the spot first, and they like have this like mm-hmm. collision. And it like, just kind of yep. bops him back, and that happened with Simmons covering Zach Levine, and it happened with Covington when he was covering one of his guys. And it's like seeing that as being—he's not afraid to be physical, and and not just rely on his uh, incredible uh, deflection abilities to to get steals and to stop guys. Is it's it's, it's it like adding an element of his defensive physicality? I think is is an exciting thing. So uh, you know, I love Cov. Six of 14, 20 points this is a good bounce back game. I totally hear I totally hear you of the of the crowd being like just you can tell the intake of breath and be like again
0: yeah he's and he's I'm good I, I and feel like I'm it's... watching like I feel like I'm watching a relative that if it doesn't go in, everyone's gonna look at me right that's
3: like... well mostly we feel at this point we feel like the most of the Sixers are, are relatives, I think. At this yes, way. yeah, Fleen for Maltz, sure, for sure. Simmons, uh, and I mean, all all these guys, TJ, Corkmas. I think everyone is well, at this point distantly related to me.
0: There there was we were watching the warm-ups and I saw Covington and Dario and TJ and I'm like, shit, a really large percentage of this team has been at our live shows and I, I'm not gonna ever criticize. <laughs> <laughs> uh there, there was one moment in the building, and only people in the building will uh will know of this, but they have those in-between, you know, uh in-between gameplay games that they play. And one of them that they do is a um A uh, what's it called where you're all walking around seats and there's fewer seats than they are. There are people Um, musical chairs, musical chairs, musical chairs. So they do a musical chairs thing. It's usually with with women. And there was a musical chairs thing. And there was one lady who had a Reddick jersey. And by the way, like, I don't know, nothing against J.J. Reddick, but like of all the players that you're picking to buy gear of, like, He's on one year deals, I don't know, whatever. But she has a Reddick jersey on and she's sort of cheating in that like every time she goes around a chair, she's like dancing like with her butt right over the chair, like sort of breaking the rules of musical chairs. Like everyone's supposed to keep moving. So it gets down to the final two and there's no crowd reaction at all to any of this until she wins and the entire crowd boos the shit out of her. (laughs) like they they knew she was cheating the whole time they were just hoping she wouldn't win, and she did win and i want to give credit to the crowd she deserved to be booed she was not playing fairly she did not deserve the prize pack that's all i want to say
3: do you do <laughs> so, you think and, and that i love that story do you think that the yeah we didn't really touch on it like do you think that if if the home crowd cheers Markel like for the rest of the season like this? Which I don't think it's gonna yep. happen. I think it'll taper off. Yeah, but I think so. Too. Do you think that there is a like patronizing level to no. it, or like a treat him like a regular player type? Like, so, yeah, yeah, go for it.
0: Oh, I'm sorry, Paolo Pagetti Palo, uh, from the uh, the Ringer wrote a thing on it and said that fans were treating him like Rudy, and like I think. They were treating him like that because that that's where we are. You know, that that is I, I think to a certain extent, the fact that he was picked number one overall, it like it doesn't matter just like how much the guy is being paid doesn't really matter. It's not part of what is going on right now. The the he was first pick in the draft, it is a sunk cost and it happened, but we are where we are right now. And the fact that he he missed an entire year due to this and he is still suffering from it makes him Rudy. Like that is what he is. And I don't care like everyone's oh you're treating him like the twelfth guy on the bench. Well they fucking love the twelfth guy on the bench. And they are they are happy for everything that the 12th guy on the bench does. You know, whether that is Brian Scalabrini or whoever it is. The difference with this guy is that maybe, just maybe that he will turn into like a star, if it mm. works. You know, th- there's no possibility of that with these other guys, but there is a possibility of it with him. And I think, is there a part of it that is patronizing, like maybe a little bit, but I think most of it, a- as can be shown by the the attack anyone receives if they speak negatively about him, myself included, <laughs> I think everyone is just like, um, you know, booing, I I John, I work with John Ritchie who who played for the Eagles and I've talked with him a lot of times about what how booing affects a player and he's like and here is a like a a mentally tough guy who like you know played f- the toughest position in football in a lot of ways fullback like his job was to ram his head into other people and he's like being booed like makes you feel like shit it doesn't motivate you. It makes you feel like shit it like i i he's like i never felt like i wanted to perform better because the crowd booed me i always felt better when they cheered me and that is an honest thing from an honest guy so i you know i think genuinely the generally the motivation is sound even if it is a little silly and um i don't think it affected him negatively i think it affected him positively and i think he needs it and uh So that's, that's where I sit on it. If they do it all year, like maybe it turns into a joke, but I think if we're still talking about this in January, it means that he's passed it. That would be my guess or passed it to a certain extent. If he's still playing this many minutes, um, my guess is like, we're, we're not still there with him as a player.
3: Yeah. I, if anything, the, him being a number one overall pick, like adds to the mythology of it. Right. I mean, like if he was just late second, and he came in and like forgot to shoot. To be like, oh, they cut him. He's not. We don't have to care about him. It's like, okay, he lost it. He, he can't shoot from NBA range. So like him being the number one overall pick, like pretty much consensus. It yep. to me was it, it adds it adds to like just how unprecedented and unusual this whole thing is. Uh, so yeah, I'm fine with it. Cheer him. Let him get excited. we we, we yeah. wrote him a get well card.
0: Yeah. And he, by the way, he loved it. He took a picture with it, you know, like, like, you know, the fact that he did that means that he, you know, he, he needs all the support he can get. And I, um, it will not stop me from like being apprehensive when he doesn't look good, but I, I will never, Criticize the way that they're treating him, especially to his face and especially in the game, because I think it operates positively. Speaking of positively, um, I would say the most positive, well, I guess I'm just tied for last in that in you and AU. Um, Andrew Underburger, uh, who writes for writes to RickySanchez.com, and all of his appearances are brought to us by Kinetic Skateboarding. Now, I made a purchase from KineticSkateboarding.com this week. I bought a Thrasher hoodie. I've been told. That there is a, a, a thought among skateboarding kids that if you wear thrasher gear and are not a skateboarder, then they fucking hate you and might beat you up. But I am ready to take that risk. Well, as a, um, as a
3: 40-something going around yeah. skate parks with the teens, you might get beat up anyway. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's a good point and i might deserve it uh they don't just have skateboards uh awesome clothes and sneakers that you're not going to find anywhere else converse nikes uh, vans all that stuff KineticSkateboarding.com. promo code dave silver all one word for 9.1 off brings to us andrew underberger au hey, uh what's up buddy it hey, is uh you know
5: it's been, been, been an interesting week
0: yeah. So AU has. I don't even know how to uh, bring it. So AU um, has had a tough week. We have not talked about it publicly, but uh, Andrew's father, Glenn, uh, passed away um, earlier this week, and uh, he's been dealing with that. all somehow wound up with a bold predictions column from AU this week. <laughs> even even so, um, but AU has been dealing with that all week, and we. I know Mike and I, because we've been aware of it, have been. Uh, we've been you know, with you uh, in spirit all week and are, are really hopeful that your family is is doing the best they can to get through it.
5: Yeah, that, that, that's much appreciated. Uh, you guys have been great. And uh, I really appreciate you giving me a chance to come on and say a few words about my father. So is it all right if I do that now?
0: Yeah, yeah, go ahead, please. All
5: right, so yeah, as you mentioned, uh, my father, Glenn Unterberg, he died very unexpectedly uh, on Sunday uh, at the age of 65. Uh, he, was the, he was the best man I ever knew. He's the greatest father I could have possibly asked for. Uh, I've talked about that plenty this week. So, I want to come on the podcast and talk about his life as a Sixers fan. So, he was born and raised in the Lower Marion area. Uh, he went to the same high school as Kobe Bryant eventually would. Uh, and he was very much a longtime fan. At the funeral, uh, the, the rabbi mentioned trust the process in his opening remarks. And every speech that everybody else gave contained at least one Sixers reference, maybe a Phillies reference, too. Uh, and he was very much like a proto process Sixers fan. You know, he would tell me about uh, going to see games at the Spectrum in the early 70s, uh, $2 seats, you know, the worst seats in the house. He, he went, I think, he told me between 50 and 20 times the the season that they went 9-73 and 73 in the 72-73 year. Uh, they would just, uh, you know, he and his friends would get up there and they would uh, scream at the coach to put in the, the, the bench scrubs that, it, that they thought would be funny to see play for once. Uh, and uh, he's t- he told me that uh, even after the 72-73 season, he was underwhelmed with Doug Collins as the top overall pick. He said it was more like drafting uh, Vince Carter than Michael Jordan. Yeah. Uh, but- <laughs> And uh, he was a huge Big Five guy. Uh, he and my mother both went to Penn, and that's actually where they met. Uh, and he was the sports editor of the Penn Paper. Uh, and they actually went to the, the Final Four game that the, the, the Penn Quakers made, I think, in 1979, where they got, they got uh, destroyed by Magic Johnson's Michigan State team. Uh, but in another sort of proto-process move, he actually moved out of Philadelphia to, to Washington, D.C. area, uh, just as the Sixers were getting good in the late 70s. Uh, he went to Georgetown Law, and he entirely missed the 80s with uh, Julius Irving and Moses Malone and Charles Barkley in the 83 championship. Uh, but he came, uh, I was born in 1986, and he came back in time uh, in 1990. Moved, uh, my family moved back to the La area, so he was there for the, the Clarence Weatherspoon and Dana Barrows era. Uh, I don't remember how he felt about that specifically. I don't really remember how he felt about Allen Iverson and, and, and those teams. But he was a very pragmatic guy, so I'm sure that even in the 2001 finals, uh, he would be the guy after game one saying, all right, yeah, that was a great game, but let's, let's not get too excited because, you know, it's probably probably not going to happen against this Lakers squad. Uh, I, I became more of a fan again. I, I, you know, I was, I was a, a sports fan growing up, but I sort of took middle school and high school off. I got really into movies and then music. I didn't really see sports as part of my life, but then uh, I got back on board with the two thousand and seven uh, Phillies uh, NL East run, and then the Sixers kind of followed from there. Uh, and re- it was really a, a big thing for he and I, and for, for he- my mother, and and for our family, and then and, and getting to talk to them about the Sixers was, was you know it was it was, it was a big thing in our relationship. Uh, and he was very realistic about those teams. Those were the the Andre Iguodala, Andre Miller years. I would kind of try to talk myself into Iguodala becoming a number one option. And he would go, "Well, maybe." Uh, we were both <laughs> driven nuts by uh, by Lou Williams and Samuel Dallenbear. Uh, My my primary memories of my father's sports fandom from sort of this period, and the period after that, uh, was that he always referred to Spencer Hawes as Steve Hawes, who was his uncle that played in the late '70s. Uh, even three or four years into a six or ten years, still kept calling him Steve. Uh, and he became infatuated with Greg Monroe and the Sixers getting Greg Monroe, uh, might have been the Georgetown connection, but he also kind of always liked the, 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 the passing smart big man. Uh, but every time we would talk offseason plans to the Sixers, he was always, he was always very focused on Greg Monroe. The target is Greg Monroe. Even <laughs> even as we were kind of, kind of courting these actual blockbuster free agents, Greg Monroe was still the, the, <laughs> the main guy he was concerned with. Uh, and he hated how many travel calls went uncalled in the NBA. Uh, he would always call extra travels. He would, you know, just just yell travel at the screen. Uh, that, that that was his biggest. Uh, you know, he, he used to be a referee, I think, for, for high school games. And so that, that was what that was what really drove him nuts. But he he embraced the process wholeheartedly. Never minded the losing. Never got impatient. And never never tried to talk either himself or me or my mother into our guys being something that they weren't. I mean, you know, me, I I would have given the moon to KJ McDaniels, but he would have just been, well, let's let's see what we actually have with this guy. Uh, But uh, he and my mother, they would go to the draft every year. Uh, He came with me to the last three lottery parties that that we held. uh, And, uh, you know, we hugged when we got the number one pick in 2015. Uh, And and he really loved this squad, particularly. We loved Joel. He loved Rocco, loved Dario, definitely loved TJ. And uh, you know we we were gonna go to the, the the home opener this Thursday. He, my mother, and I. Uh, instead, we, my mom and I. We you know we, we were sitting shiva, so we we taped the game. We watched it later. I was calling out on call travels in his honor. That uh, <laughs> uh, I feel like you guys should know this, and this this is a little bit more, and a little bit intense. Uh, but we actually uh, buried him in in the shirt, the the, the, the Rice to Ricky Sanchez uh, process name shirt. Oh my god. Uh, that that wasn't my, my idea. God. It was my mother's idea, uh, just because it was, you know, it was a shirt that he he really liked, uh, and, and you know it, it's kind of weird, and I, I don't want to make like a big thing out of it because he wasn't like a super fan of the podcast. Uh, you know, he loved reading uh, the things that I wrote for for us, and you know he would share them with all of his friends on his many many email lists. But he wasn't like a regular listener. I don't I don't think he or my mother really understand podcasts or how how to download them or listen to them.
0: Probably but better he, off. Yeah. yeah, yeah, maybe, but but
5: he loved the Sixers, uh, and he loved sharing this part of the Sixers fandom with my mother and I. And he he just kind of got what, what we and you know, what you guys were doing. You know, it, it was very much his sort of thing, uh, obsessing over like the team minutia and like making running jokes that don't really make any sense to anybody who doesn't already understand it, and, and just kind of celebrating the process as much as the results. And he wasn't, you know, he wouldn't have been so much into like our our more trolling, more confrontational parts. Uh, he, he was kind of too kind hearted for all that. But besides that, I, I think uh, if he had come around a generation later, uh, he'd been 30 years younger. Uh, this, this very much, you know, this pod, this this kind of culture uh, would have been something he was 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 he he might have he might have created it himself. He might have been part of it himself. He, him and his uh, his high school friends or his college friends. Uh, and so I think it really gave my mother and it gives me like a great comfort to know that he's buried in something that like, not only reflected his love for the Sixers in the process, and not only reflected his, you know his love for us and his family but it just kind of reflect his general personality. And like I said, I, I don't want to make like a, like a cartoon out of it. I don't, I don't want like, you know, I, I don't want like his logo on a shirt or anything, but uh, you know, if we could afford him, maybe like a small kind of respectful place in, in, in process and in Ricky lore for being what, I, what I'm pretty sure is the first person to ever be buried in the shirt. Uh, I, th- I think he would get a kick out of it. Uh, and he, and he deserved it because he was, he really was as true a Sixers fan and a process truster as anybody.
0: Wow. Anyway. Um, uh, thank you for that. I, I mean, mm-hmm. l- not the uh, for all of that. I think, um like in that service, I believe there were actually four trust the processes. So you're selling <laughs> it a little bit short. I think it was, yeah, it was I mean, mentioned, yeah, by not only the rabbi but I, I think your your mom as well, who also suggested, and it made me feel guilty for not. She was like, "You have to believe in Embiid, Simmons, and Fultz. It's going to work." And I'm like, "Holy <laughs> shit! Like, like I feel like I'm being called out." So, um, it yeah, was I guarantee th- it wasn't a
5: subtweet. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. I think um, I, you know the way you um, feel about your dad, and the way that everyone does, and the way that he seemed to treat people um, is the um, re- really I mentioned to you made made me, and I think made everyone there think a lot about um their own lives and and the relationships in their own lives and if we can all um, you know you, you don't want to think about how you're going to be remembered It i guess it's sort of scary to think that way um but if if everyone was remembered the same way your dad was remembered i think the world would be a a much 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 better place and um I, so uh so i'm but we're that Think I speak for everybody when we're really sorry that we're really sorry that this happened, but really glad that you're um, able to, you know, speak so positively and share so many mm-hmm. share, share so many lessons and um and thoughts about him. So well, yeah, so
5: thank I, you for saying and, and and yeah, it's it's been a it's been a pretty heavy time of introspection for for everybody. And uh, but I I, uh, I, I guess I, di- I didn't mention I probably should say that you know uh, one of the last times i saw him one of the last kind of big memories we had was at the uh the electric factory live pod uh and I, I i've told you i told you already about how much you know what a great time he and my mother had and and how how much it meant for us all to be together and at this this incredible ridiculous event that made no sense but we all kind of understood it anyway uh and so yeah i mean the the, the podcast and the culture around the sixers it was a big part of our relationship it was a big part of Thing, you know, it was a big part of his life, and it gave him a lot of joy, so so thanks for the part that you guys played in that, and uh, yeah, he's he's, he's really going to be missed.
3: Yeah, man. I think you I, know, sports, I, sports okay. as much as they are frivolous and sort of drive us crazy sometimes, it's it's a thing that brings people together, and I know I have that kind of relationship with my dad. I'm sure Spike, in his own twisted, sicko way, has his relationship <laughs> with his dad, uh, yeah. but yeah, it's, you know, it's tough, man. I'm really sorry. The,
0: the one thing I want to ask, because um, your dad, like, had a uh, a basketball league that he played in yep. on Sunday mornings called the the Old Guy Basketball League. Old um, Guy's Basketball Association. Old Guy's Basketball Association, right, which he was like, he, uh, mm-hmm. I, I sort of, uh, I enjoyed how, like, he took it too seriously and created <laughs> banquets and shit like exactly, that. because yes. I think we can be, I think that was something that we all, we all share. Um, but the one thing I want to ask is, like, what kind of a player was he? Um, uh, because I never met him, so I don't physically know if he was a big guy. I mean, you're a, you're a tall guy. Um, what kind of a basketball player was your guy? Yeah, I, I, I w- uh, he wasn't as tall as I
5: was, uh, okay. but he was probably, you know, he's definitely more skilled. He was definitely, uh, you know, kind of, kind of saw the game well. And I remember, uh, you know, I only ever played in the league once. Uh, I'm not really, a, I'm not really an athlete. I'm not, you know, despite my height, I haven't played basketball with any seriousness in almost 20 years. Uh, but, uh, I played with him once and he was, uh, I remember he praised that I, I, I knew intuitively to roll to the basket when he had the ball at the top of the key. Uh, and so, you know, he, I guess he was, he was kind of a distributor. Uh, I think he could shoot pretty well, but I, I don't think he was like a marksman or anything. He was just kind of an all around sort of guy and that that's the way he was in life too. Uh, and I, I should say, uh, that, you know, the old guys, you know, he, the, he was the commissioner of, of that league. And, uh, you know, I, I was a little worried about what would happen to the league after, you know, after his passing, but, uh, a guy came up to me, uh, you know, at the at the graveyard where we were about to, to to lay him to rest, and he said, you know, you don't really know me, uh, and I've only I've only known your father for a couple of years, but uh, you know, I'm part of the OGBA, and it's it's a you know, it's a big deal in my life, and I, I know I know, you know, what a great guy he was, and how much you know how much he means to the community, and and, and just in the, just in the years I knew him, it, it was it was a really great relationship that we had, and uh, I just want you to know that I've talked to the other guys in the OGBA, and we've decided we're going to go on without him. And you know, I, I only lost it really a couple of times over the course of the day on Wednesday, uh, but that was one of them because I I, I I knew how much the league meant to my dad and how much basketball meant to him. And it, it would have broken his
0: heart to know that the league died with
5: him. So it's still going if you find yourself in the Lower Merion area on Sunday
0: morning. Awesome. Sounds, sounds perfect for all of us. Um, well, give our best to your uh, your mom and the rest of your family, your, your mom, your brother, um, uh, and the rest of the family. And I, I appreciate you coming on and sharing this with us, man.
3: Yeah man. All
0: right, thanks Thank buddy. you. Hang in there. Um yeah, AU um uh give our best to him, his family and uh uh like I I think I I mentioned to you um I've never like um you know, I'm not like a big funeral or guy or anything, but I've never learned so much about somebody um as at uh his dad, so I thought it was cool that they all gave so much background and I uh I also think it's cool. he love basketball so much. And to your point about sports being a unifier, like it divides us so much. It's a good reminder about how much it can unify us as well.
3: Yeah. Do you think it's it should be weirder for us or for Mac Coshwall that he was buried in a shirt with his name on it?
0: Well, uh, definitely weirder for us. Okay. Uh, Mac Koshwall. I don't even think we could explain it to him, but it is certainly a you know, that is one of the shirts that has never been reprinted because it is two-sided and two-sided was always a problem for us. But um, maybe, maybe, just maybe um, we bring that shirt back, the shirt with all of the names on the back so everyone can uh, can enjoy that. Yeah, it's uh, both an honor and also um, really, uh, <laughs> really strange to hear that he was, but, but certainly an honor more than anything else. So. Yeah. Um, Do you want to – we have a couple more things we want to get to. I want to make sure we get to them. Do you have time to get to them? Yeah. Um, Okay. So I'm going to – so Zach Lowe was on Adrian Wojnarowski's podcast, The Woj Pod, and they talked about uh, the Simmons and Embiid thing, which is not an article about the relationship, but I think Zach Lowe and – and Adrian Wojnarowski talking about it on a podcast counts as one for the over/under, yep. and I'm going to read it to you, but I will play the audio in the pod. So if I, you're uh, if you're listening
3: to the pod, you'll I heard, I heard it. You don't have to. You can play it. But, oh, okay, uh, so I, I, don't I have to read it. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and I think it'll be interesting because they're in position to go out into free agency next summer, and like they were this summer, and and try to sign an elite free agent. There's more guys out there next year. I think for them, the challenge will be, and you hear people in the like players who would consider Philly, they're going to want to know this: Are Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid are they attached? Is that relationship where it needs to be? Is that partnership where it needs to be? Because if you're going to be the third guy coming in, you don't want to walk into something where you're in the middle of something. And I'm not saying, listen, I think they would all agree. They're not close. You don't have to be close, but it's got to be a really good working partnership. And I think that's the messaging. I think those two, as much as anything, they're like as an organization. And I think it was a big part of their interviews in the GM process. They asked that question, the candidates about free agency and, and and I think one of the things that kept coming back to them from candidates was more important than who the GM is and maybe even who the coach is where are Simmons and Embiid are they attached are they connected because that's what's going to impact getting that third star yeah and you
4: know people are going to hear that Philly fans are going to hear that and think oh here goes the media you know trying to do the Westbrook Durant thing again and I'm like it I mean the Sixers have talked about it openly like JJ was on my podcast said you know it's it's something. I don't I don't remember what he said but he didn't poo-poo the entire idea that it's something everyone is just kind of watching i don't think they're close and they're just sort of watching it and seeing how it goes and i think part of it again uh, in terms of like there being such a huge fundamental question about fultz's game simmons is also a very unusual player it's unusual to have a lead ball handler who is hesitant to take elbow jumpers even and it's, it means that he wants to live in the post a little bit, which is where Joel wants to live. It means that a Simmons and Bede pick and roll is just a strange animal that has never become a like steady di- steady part of their diet. And that's the simplest way for a ball handler and a big man to complement each other. And they, they can do it, but it's not like they run 20 a game. It's, it's just it's, – there's they're a very strange – for such a talented team that won 50-whatever last year, they're just – it's a strange team.
0: Okay, so um, essentially, like you know, they are. So this will come. So now we're after it. Now you've heard it. Um, They open uh, open floor again. Yep. The uh, essentially, what it is, what they're saying, and what we have heard, that it is not a problem, but it is also something that everybody is um, is. Uh, very intent on and obviously the the interesting thing I thought that Woj brought up the idea of incoming free agents wanting to feel confident in in that relationship both when we say relationship it it does mean all things right like it doesn't just mean that they have to be buddies and it is one of the things that we talked about on the pod and they actually talked for a long time on the ringer NBA pod thanks to our friend Chris Ryan for bringing it up but the the on-court fit of them is so important for them to feel like the other one makes them better. Not just because they are good, but because they specifically make them better. And that is one of the, I would say, it is one of the most, if not the most important thing of, of the season.
3: Yeah, for sure. I mean, look, I think that there's just not that many guys this early in their career on their, on their first team that are already this good. You know, in NBA history, at least in like the modern era, I think like it's it's Westbrook and Durant, and I mean even Shaq and Kobe. That was not Shaq's first team. So like they're they these guys are growing up in the league at the same time, and Embiid obviously had injury stuff, and you know he ties to the previous regime, and Simmons also sat his first year, and there's you know they're they're there's a lot there's a lot going on in their lives all the time, but I don't. To me, it's like being mindful of that relationship working and wanting that relationship to work doesn't mean it's not. And I just think people are reading into it way more than they should be. And I think that there's like somebody talks about it and then it's like, oh, that's a fun topic. And then we're going to talk about it. And it, it's sort of like the media sort of spins it around and it snowballs and it's become this like, oh, I'm Simmons. But like there hasn't been any single report. Of any feud whatsoever, any argument, any moment in time when they were, like, heatedly disagreeing about something or, like, talking behind each other's backs. Like, there's been none of that. And I'll just say, as a guy that knows a little bit, I've never heard him say anything bad about him. So, like, there's – it's – to me, it's like, yes, be mindful of it. These are your two best players. You need them to get along and be on the same page, especially important in – in courting free agents, in getting guys to to want to come here to to buy into the to what Brett is doing here, and, and feeling like they're the last piece here. If it's not Markella. even if it is Markella, it's somebody else that still wants to come here and be and add to that. But I don't think that just means that like there's an inherent problem already. I think I think it's just it's become one of those things that has become a narrative and a snowballed thing without actually having the basis of a of a a real tangible problem yet. So while I'm, I I think it's good to to be mindful of it. I don't think it's, I don't think it's real yet. And I think people are just whipping themselves up into a frenzy because it's a fun thing to talk about.
0: Um, I sort of disagree with your last point. I think, um, I, I would, I would gather, um, I like, I, I hate, I would just say that, uh, it is not a thing that is invisible. I guess. Like, I, I agree with you in that the there is no dislike, but it is important to look back at KD and Westbrook and know that because everybody goes, well, they didn't really complement each other, and like the answer is yes. Like, like KD felt um, felt I think in a lot of ways like the, the lack of complimentary um, thing to their games was a reason that he could go somewhere else like he he said at with the warrior like when he went to the warriors that playing the way that they played was something that he was looking forward to and that didn't mean and and of course it became it into a thing everybody turned it into a katie versus westbrook personality thing which it might have been a little bit but i think most of it was he looked back at the previous seven years or however long they played together and goes you know what like like This isn't making me my best me. And I think what I would say is that I believe that, um, that they are conscious of it being important that these guys feel like they are making each other better on the court. That doesn't yeah. mean that they're not, right? right. It, it doesn't mean that they haven't taken steps, and it doesn't mean because we haven't seen Simmons pick and rolls yet that they're not working on it. Mm-hmm. But I think everyone involved, from the team to the the, the camps around both guys, realize that the future of both of them is is immeasurably better if they are together and they're they making each other better, mm-hmm. right? Like they're both so skilled and so good that if they can find a way to make each other better, then then everything is better. You know, then the future is better. Then they don't have to worry about, sh- you know, making a decision come free agency. And, you know, and, and uh, like, I think just for, for basketball sake, if for no other reason, um, but that, that sort of like is a domino effect with everything else. So I would say that... Um, you know, no, there's like no ill will. I think it is fair to say that everyone knows that, like, they're also not. It's not like a Kyle Lowry, DeMar DeRozan situation where, like, that the fucking sad video of Kyle uh, Lowry doing so, the DeMar DeRozan so fucking high five before the game. Uh, Jesus, that so like it summer camp or something like that is weird. It's not that. Um But I, I think like, you know, the idea that they need to make each other better is, is present with everybody. And it should be, it should be, you would you should want your two players to make each other better. Absolutely. Like that, that is a, a really common thing.
3: I know? just think that sometimes, like obviously sometimes when there's smoke, there's fire, but sometimes there's just a smoke machine. Like, yeah, I, I don't it's think it's a, always, yeah. it always the case that there's, I think there's, it is something to be mindful of, but not, like a real like problem yes or or something to be like super concerned about yet yep so i don't know
0: um we'll talk about the tj mcconnell potential trade and amir johnson roasting an enemy of the of (laughs) of the podcast coming up but first let's talk about our um our other sponsor cornblow and cornblow the official law firm of the process um of course we have cornblow looking into all of our Trademark issues, whether it be the lick face or trust the process, but that is not Cornblow's specialty. Now, Cornblow and Cornblow is the official personal injury law firm of the rights to Ricky Sanchez podcast. A lot of these personal injury law firms, like you hear advertisements for them, and what the truth is is that all they do is schlep you off to somebody else. They're just referral services. You call Cornblow and Cornblow, you are getting the same guy that has corn dogs named off after him and is buying t-shirts for people at the Live Ricky. Uh, you can take that as a positive, as a negative. I take it as a negative, I think, as a positive <laughs> rather. I think we all take it as a positive. Cornblow and Cornblow has been a, a personal injury law firm in the Delaware Valley for 40 years now, getting some of the biggest results of anybody in the area. Medical malpractice is their specialty, but any personal injury, you know, we've heard uh, from listeners who have had car accidents, um, have had slip and fall incidents, injured at work, whatever it is, Cornblow is going to take care of you um, and is going to make a, a process that is normally really nerve-wracking and shitty a good one. Remember, he does not make one cent unless you do. It doesn't cost you anything to reach out to Cornblow. So if you think, if something happened and you think you might have a case, reach out, give him a call, shoot him an email, cost you zero, 215-576-7200, ask for Adam or email Cornblow at Cornblow and Cornblow.com. Cornblow spelled with a K, the and in the email address spelled out A-N-D, and the rest.
3: It's up to
0: you. Cornblow and Cornblow, the official law firm of the process. Keith Pompey reported that the sons who are in desperate need of a point guard until they realize that Isaiah Cannon (laughs) is the point guard they always needed.
3: Unbelievable. um,
0: Good to see Lil Sip returning from what was a, a horrific injury last year, by the way, regardless of what you think of him. Obviously, I'm a big Lil Sip fan. Um, so they turned down a second round pick, uh, which if is the Sun's second round pick is a pretty good second round pick. I'm sort of of the opinion if we're separating the personal attachment to TJ and that I'd rather TJ be here forever, uh, I don't think they can trade him while the fault situation is what it is, mm-hmm. unless they are given an offer they can't refuse. That would sort of be my position on it. You? I think
3: that's right. Yeah. I yeah. think it's just the the negatives of, you know, they're, they're primed to win this season. And obviously, hopefully they get better in future seasons, but they're, the East is open now. They can be one of the top three, four teams, like go get it now. And uh, trading him for an early second, is it'd be great value for a guy that's expiring after this year um and on the on the woge low pod they talked about maybe extending tj and but possibly not wanting to eat into his into their cap space i don't i sort of don't think they're going to extend him this year i think they'll wait to see just to have flexibility um that would be good but you don't you don't mess with like the chemistry and back yourself into a corner of like okay we need folks to be good we have no other alternative or we have to like go trade for a, a different backup we have to go get like fucking dj augustine or something if after you've already gotten the second one. so it's just keep the team together everybody's happy tj's great locker room guy makes everybody happier uh supportive of faults can come in in a pinch hopefully as a better three-point shooter uh this year i would love to see that a little more confidence from tj Uh, as much as I do love the idea of, you know, I think, I think process era, a, a, an expiring TJ for an early second. I think you do that. I think it's like the season doesn't really matter that much. That's good value. Kick the can down the road. It's a great road and a can that needs kicking. But now where we are, he, he's too valuable and the, and the team chemistry matters too much to, to say, we're going to get another second round pick for him. So I hold off.
0: I agree. Yeah, I, I would hold off, and and like really, whatever deal you have is probably going to be there at the deadline. And I, I do think some of the numbers that people are throwing out there for a TJ extension, like eight or ten million a year, like I, I, I think he's a four million dollar a year guy. I, I don't, I don't think anyone is under any illusion that TJ is more than that. That that is my opinion. I. For TJ's sake, I hope I'm wrong. For the Sixers' sake, I hope I'm right. But I think, as a backup point guard, the three four million dollars is probably um, probably the right the right number.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Uh, one um, one thing before we get to the Amir thing, people keep talking about. And I I almost tweeted about this, but I, people keep talking about the the Simmons and Ingram debate still exists. People, a lot of people say oh, yeah, they talked about it in the pod. I know, hey, you of, wrote about it. A lot of people, Brandon Ingram, they're not sure he's better. Like, could he be better? Like, a lot of scouts aren't convinced that Simmons is better. And in this, within that argument, there's the given, and it's just accepted by people, that Brandon Ingram is a better shooter, which he is, and and a good shooter, and a great shooter, and potentially, like, elite. And, guys, that's not true. He's not. He is, right now, not a good shooter. He is, he's gotten a ton of open looks. At the foul line, he, for three consecutive seasons at Duke in his first two years in the league, shot in the 60, 60% range, in the, like 65 or 66%. That's not good. Just because you're tall and skinny does not mean that you're Kevin Durant.
0: You're Kevin Durant? You're
3: not. <laughs> it doesn't mean it. Kevin Durant yeah. hits shots yeah. at a r- ridiculous rate. And I think someone, I forget who it was, said like maybe Nick Batum is a closer comp for, for Ingram um, because Nick Batum also can create a little bit, move the ball. Nick Batum, a better shooter has shot in above 80% from the line his entire career. And Ingram is just not there yet. I think he can get there. I think he's an impressive player. Uh, The combination of of length and just... He's not obviously like a a, a wide guy, but he's stronger than he looks. And he can get to the rim, but he's not crazy athletic. He's not crazy fast. He's not a crazy good shooter. I struggle to find what he's legitimately good at right now. Now, he's playing with LeBron James, and he will get better, and LeBron will make him look better. But the idea that he's potentially better than Simmons right now, unless he changes so much to his game and actually becomes the shooter people somehow believe him to be, he's not even close to Simmons. Simmons is better at every aspect of the game except for shooting, which Ingram isn't that good at.
0: Yeah, I think it is the... I I'm a little higher on Ingram as a concept than I think you are, but it is really the idea of Ingram that people talk about, not the actual Ingram. And I think what, what you're noting is that the idea of Ingram and the actual Ingram are a lot further away than anyone is giving credit for. Yeah.
3: Right? I, that, I, li- I like, I like Ingram for sure. I definitely yeah. do. And I think he's got, I look, I kept him on my fantasy team, which is doing very well. Thank you for asking, by the way, but he's just not, He's not the guy that they say he is yet. And he could become that guy. But Simmons right now, after one year in the league, is was a top 20, 25 player in the league. And is getting better. And continues to make plays that I've never seen anyone make before. And the idea that Ingram can improve his jumper to be like somehow elite all of a sudden, to me is not a better chance than Simmons improving his jumper to be decent and at least like something like okay enough to for people to step off him. like i i just haven't seen it right now i mean ingram shot well yeah. from three last year in very limited attempts very limited attempts yeah he shot yeah, like a like two a game he's sh- less he shot like 104 threes on the season or something oh, okay and i just don't i think like he's gonna shoot more this year obviously uh i think he's gonna be a good player but he's a he's a role player he's never gonna make an all-star game He's a role player. Oh,
0: there now we get some takes. Never. Fucking fine.
3: Never making off take. Uh,
0: I, I want to I want to also announce that I will be um, writing a, a Brandon Ingram television show um, that uh Didn't you make this joke last time? Yeah, but I'm going to keep making it. (laughs) All right. Um, One quick thing before we get to the Amir Johnson thing is, and I don't know where this was, whether it was in a podcast or writing. I think it was in a podcast. But uh, Ham Sinky, which is one of the scariest accounts on Twitter, in that he hears he or she, hears or sees everything and remembers everything, whether it was in a podcast, written, everything ever. Uh, From Woj, um, Adam Silver, on Adam Silver, Phoenix traded the rights to Miami's unprotected 2021 first-round pick to Philadelphia in June, and the moving of that valued pick played some part in pushing the proposed rule change to 2022, league sources said. Ugh. F- fuck Adam Silver. Fuck him from here to eternity. That guy, uh, like, if everyone thinks that, like, my number one enemy is either Calangelo, they are wrong. The 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 worst in this, because he he presents as um, virtuous and good is is Dave Silver, who is a fucking fraud, is a is so concerned with being right and making sure what the Sixers did here and and making moves to better your future are not um, are not uh, rewarded because all he cares about is current. Uh, money that they can make because of gambling, is he is a fucking fraud. Um, and he, like, I will expose and continue to bring up what a fucking fraud he is for the rest of eternity. Um, he is a fraud. He is a fucking fraud. And like, f- fraud in its most literal different definition, in that he presents as one thing, and he is actually something else. So... That is really annoying. Yeah, <laughs> it's really annoying. Uh, um, someone
3: DM me about a conspiracy that uh, I think it was. He said David Stern, uh, or I guess Adam Stern. I don't know. We're we doing that. He, yeah, Adam Stern, Dave Silver. Sure. He, uh, like, planted the Colangelo Twitter accounts to like get back at the Sixers for tanking. I don't, I don't remember what it was, <laughs> but like the conspiracies of like the league intervening in the process that's definitely i that is something in a a book someday or a 30 for 30 or something i would love to get like honest answers of like just how much the league fucking resents the sixers for being this good and what they and steps they've put into place for fucking them along the way and this 2021 thing is just another another fig leaf
0: well and a total true thing is that Adam uh Adam Stern had something to do with Jerry Colangelo being introduced yeah. to Dave Silver. Yeah. Like that is all a real thing. And you know, we were talking last week about the uh the book that that guy asked us if we wanted to write. Maybe um maybe like uh like fic- fan fiction based on <laughs> Dave Silver and Adam Stern's involvement, the league's involvement on all of this would be uh an illustrated Dr. Evil style fan fiction. Maybe that's the way to go. Uh, in which case, neither of us have any ability to do that. But if there's somebody who wants to draw those things, that is that is fine with me. Um, the final thing we'll talk about is Amir Johnson, who is one of those vets that I think we both concur that we like. We like Amir Johnson. I like that he gives everyone high fives in the starting lineup. I like his tattoos. Um, I like his name, everything about him. So Derek tweets like during like guy. the Bulls game. Yes, absolutely. Um, still looking to do that interview with him and Wilson Chandler, strictly about tattoos, maybe one day. Derek Bodner tweets during the Sixers Bulls game Amir Johnson is going to have nightmares about Bobby Portis. Kevin O'Connor, uh, an obvious Celtics fan, but claims he is no longer a Celtics <laughs> fan, chimes in. Well, with at the right, the ball, band at Kevin the right old O'Connor.
3: age of like. 24 or whatever the fuck he is, like, you know, you have <laughs> yeah. perspective and you can separate your fandom from from your journalistic integrity.
0: Right. Somehow, Bill Simmons still can't do it at 52, but KOC has booted it at 24. <laughs> KOC weighs in. Amir Johnson was cooked two seasons ago in Boston. I'm surprised he still gets minutes. And then fucking Amir Johnson was not tagged in any of it. Weighs in. Well, to all you fake Twitter basketball analysts. A long time ago, I realized people only understand from the level of their perception, only stuff you guys see on TV, Instagram, etc. You'll never understand the grind of any professional athlete. And then follows it up with a tweet to everyone saying, if you're going to talk about me, at me, I don't care. Like, I don't have that tweet, but it's like, let's get it on. Like, wow. so... You know, I think we one rule we agree on is if you're going to talk negatively about an athlete on Twitter, do not tag them in it. Right. Unless it's Amir Johnson <laughs> who is saying man up and fucking tag me, you coward.
3: I think there was a time so like, I think early Internet there was guys inexplicably responding to tweets about themselves. And
0: most Spates did it to me once, by the way. Yeah. yeah.
3: And, and doing it for a long time. I think it was even like through the 2000s and then for a couple years, I yep. think it went away. Where players are like, ah, I, don't, I don't, I tune all that out. I don't, I don't weigh in on that stuff. And then I think within the last like two years or something like that, it came back and guys were like, no, fuck this. I get enough shit. I gotta, I gotta lash out at somebody. And I think you saw it with, uh, oh, there's somebody a couple of days ago that did it too. But anyway, Amir just like, great. Go after KOC all you want. Guy's fucking banned as yep.
0: well. Yep. Now he's as banned as he's ever been. Um, I, I would like to announce officially to KOC is more fucking banned than he was before. You're banned. Um Amir John don't come at Amir Johnson like that. You're surprised he still gets minutes. I'm surprised anybody wants to read what you there write, you, you fucking go. Fraud. There you go. Yeah. <laughs>
3: Uh how about Amir fucking two straight games, two hammer dunks, two like athletics legs up, yep. like in the lane, not not wide open dunks either. Neither of them were just were wide open. There were there was there were defenders within the area and uh I mean he doesn't look great aside from those two plays although last night he had uh, or whenever it was he had 13 points which is his third most point total with the sixers I think he had 16 was his career high or was his season high last week um he yeah he doesn't I, I always love I love his touch inside I think he's, he doesn't get enough credit for that just sort of finishing with like this weird like sort of half hooks but uh doesn't look good on defense yet and hopefully he gets there, gets his legs back under him, but definitely not. Uh, every every time the Sixers talk about him, at least privately, it's like, oh, he's so good around the rim defensively. They are, they're really happy with the level of rim protection that he provides with Adam Bede, but at least to the eye test in two games, he has not done that at all. I think guys are getting around him really easily. Jabari Parker got around him a bunch of times, like, uh, Antonio Blakeney got around him to like just get to the rim and scoot in. Like it just seemed seemed like very easy to get by him this time. So hopefully that comes together. It would be nice to have somebody behind Embiid who who can just keep the defense afloat without him without him in there. But they're clearly
0: which I thought he did last year. By the way, he did. I thought, he It like, uh, was criticized a lot, but I thought he did a, a, a really solid job last year.
3: Yeah, so. just uh, not, not quite the first two games. Hopefully we see it. Um, last. Point unless you have something else. No. Nope. Uh. So you. So you do a lot of this. You have a. Uh, you have this thing where you talk about. The last. Last week you talked about the guys that, the the media and basketball Twitter think are fun, and you find them clearly unfun. C- yes. Correct? Name a couple. Yeah, like Al Horford. Al Horford, Marcus, all those kinds of guys. And I'm yep. if you're the fun police, I'm going to be the fun police police, because Ooh. to me, to me, what makes like, the guys who aren't traditionally fun, like Derek Jones Jr. is, like, obviously fun. Like, he's incredible. I've never seen a guy jump like that. And Zaire Smith is going to be fun. And Kyrie is fun in his way because of the way stuff he does on the court. Steph is fun. Those kinds of things. But to me, the thing that, like, Nikola Jokic is fun because he looks so different from everyone else on the court. And Luka Doncic, similar. Gasol, Horford. These guys that, like, don't have this, like, ridiculous ability that is just undeniable whether it's incredible shooting or incredible athleticism or speed or handles or any of those things the guys that sort of just make it work like uh that to me is interesting and i would say that even covington is is kind of that guys that don't have this they didn't come up through the traditional system that didn't that weren't like pegged at an early age of like oh you are this elite guy because of all these like specific traits you have and obviously not all of them, where obviously Doncic has been a superstar for, for years. But to me, it's like the guys that don't look like traditional NBA players that are crazy successful. Like, I have no idea why Jokic is so good. I don't know. I don't know how it's possible. I don't know how he hits shots. I don't know how he finds teammates at such a clip that makes them so much better on offense. Obviously, he's a terrible defensive player. And we'll see if he can ever become, you know, hopefully, Marcus Gasol. But I th- I find that stuff fun. I, and I, And maybe it's an offbeat fun. Maybe it's like a... Maybe it's a process level fun of like because I had fun watching those process players. So to me, like you can have all different kinds of fun watching basketball. And, uh, and I fake will police, fun and real fun. I will police I will police your fun policeness. <laughs> well one. one thing that's
0: interesting about Covington is that the you know and and you'll remember like i like covington from minute one yeah. um but it was be and i think somebody brought up on a pod i think after his second game i said he was more valuable than mcw which at the time was a pretty hot uh, mm-hmm. take what i like what i liked about covington compared to what covington has actually become are actually two different things like i like covington because he was sort of like unconscious in terms of like three point shooting. Like I like guys that will keep shooting whether it's going in or not. And he provided at the time, he was the, literally the only good shooter on the Sixers and he made a an immediate difference. And him becoming like this great team defender and all that stuff is stuff I'm aware of. Um, and I like because it's Covington, but not stuff that I genuinely care, generally mm-hmm. care about. I think it is less about <clears throat> them, like enjoying watching them and more about the look at me at how much I enjoy watching this. Like, I was watching this Bulls game, and I've mentioned before, Zach Levine is a guy that like during YouTube I actually didn't like, but Zach Levine I fucking love now, because he is just gets buckets. I just fucking love Zach Levine. Um, I do know that there is a place for liking other guys, but like it is really just the call out of man. I really just don't get people that don't understand Marcus Saul's passes from the high sure. post. But that's it's always like, your issue. You don't your understand your, them. Issue,
3: your issue is always other <laughs> people like, on, enjoying things. Off. That's what it always is. It's yeah. o- how other people talk yeah. about it. It's why I don't like basketball Twitter. People calling people, players by their first names. Like yep. basketball is definitely the sport that the that the fan base, or at least the vocal fan base, feels most connected to. Feels like they talk about mm-hmm. them as if they're yeah. their friend, that like they're friends, and they're like hanging out. Oh, Russ, being Russ, that kind of thing. And that pisses you off and those are that is your your gears get grinded by those things and fun and all the stuff so you know
0: i'm just all right
3: we just know we know it we all know
0: i I gotta say my my thought is this was one of our best podcasts in a long time sure it was really long but i think i if you've made it to this point between au's heartfelt speech the actual basketball discussion the goofball uh, stuff tony tony to tony returning it's just a a fucking moment for
3: every we've a, had a lot of laughs so.
0: yeah a lot of laughs so uh we will talk to you a bunch of games this week orlando tonight then milwaukee later this week and one other what's the tuesday game um milwaukee is wednesday i think it's a shitty team on tuesday um because i marked it down as a win mentally i forget what it was but Pistons. um big week Yes. Pistons. So 81 and one. Here we come. Uh, Are you down with TTP?
3: Yeah. You know, lick face midterms coming up, register to vote. We Actually in Pennsylvania, it's already too late, but vote absentee ballot. Do whatever you got to do. If they didn't, if voting didn't matter, they wouldn't be trying so hard to keep you from voting. Just fucking vote. If you can vote. End of podcast.
0: I second that.
1: We are the murderers there. That with the jail and we murdered the murderers there. Then with the hell and discovered the devil delivered some hurting despair. Used to have power to push. Now I smoke power to the push. Holy, I'm burning the bush. Now I give a fuck about none of this shit. Two runner over and out of this bitch. <laughs> Step into
2: the spotlight. <laughs> Uppers and downers get done. I'm in a rush to be numb. Dropping a thousand ain't much. Come from the clouds on a missile so to turn.